Hello and welcome to this episode of Governing Chatters. My name is Nina Sharma, NGA's Policy and Information Officer. And in the first podcast of 2021, we are going to be discussing a really important topic of the framework for ethical leadership in education. The framework for ethical leadership in education is based around the seven principles of public life and it outlines 14 values and virtues that leaders and governing boards can look to when considering that really important question of how do we know we're doing the right thing. NGA have supported on the framework for ethical leadership by integrating the framework into our guidance, our professional development, our publications and by running the Pathfinder project since 2019. The Pathfinder project set out to test and consider how the ethical framework would work in practice across the sector. As you'll probably hear later on in the podcast, the framework set out to be an adaptable and flexible for school leaders and governing boards all across different school types and phases. We've now closed the Pathfinder project and we've closed it with our latest publication, Paving the Way for Ethical Leadership, the Pathfinder Schools and Trusts. The report outlines key findings from the Pathfinder projects and evaluates the impact that the framework has had on developing ethical thinking and it examines how the framework has supported 341 Pathfinder schools. Today we are delighted to be joined by some of the key figures involved in the development of the ethical leadership framework and the Pathfinder project. We'll be talking them through how they have used the Pathfinder project in their school or trust and the impact that the work has had on them. Today, we have Carolyn Roberts, the former chair of the Ethical Leadership Commission and head teacher, Karen Cornell, an assistant head teacher, Kath Kitchen, a chief executive of a multi-academy trust, and Rosemary Hoyle, a chair of governors at a Church of England school. So thank you all for joining us today. It's really great to have you and continue a really important conversation of ethical leadership and good governance. So let's start off with discussing your roles and how and why you came to use the framework for ethical leadership. Carolyn, we'll start with you. Hello. Um, I was involved with the um, ethical leadership programme from the start because it actually started when I was Honorary Secretary of of, um, ASCOL, the Association of School and College Leaders. And as part of my thinking about the sector, thinking about education at the time, I was very concerned about the kind of decision-making that uh, school leaders were being being forced into. What happened was that then ASCOL supported my idea that we ought to do some work about about ethical decision-making, about what kind of personal decision-making Um, school leaders made and whether there was enough support or enough structure around that. Uh, And then ASCO gathered gathered together a a very large range of partners, the major one, of course, being the NGA. And that met between 2017 and 2019. And then we came up with our report for our first ethical leadership summit. And the report was called Navigating the Moral Maze. But we talked about what, what it was that enabled school leaders to make the right decisions we came up with our first decision and our first decision wasn't really a decision at all because it was that um, that everybody should pay more attention to the um, principles for public life the 1994 Nolan principles so the first thing that we did was to steal somebody else's values and to just turn them around a bit so that they were 
face towards school. So, so school and college leaders should act solely in the interest of children and young people. So once we decided that that was our first thing, that then didn't seem to be enough. One of the Nolan principal values is leadership. And what I wanted was to be able to um, give school leaders some support and some help in how they personally made decisions. Because it's all very, all very well saying uh, that we've got to be accountable and transparent and all of that. But actually, there are loads of decisions that school leaders make for which there is no blueprint, for which there's no advice. You can't look up on the, on the, on the internet to find how to be, behave. And so what we put out then in total were these seven values and seven virtues. And we hope that with this work that we would give people a framework um, through which they could try and make judgments about the decisions that they make. So the kind of things that can keep you awake at night as a school leader. And so that was the most important thing we wanted to achieve. The second thing that we wanted to do was to try to embed that language in, uh, in, in training uh, and in, uh, and in pro professional development uh, in school leadership. And the third thing that we wanted to do was to find a home for ethical leadership. So, Kath, let's bring you in onto this. Uh, you wear multiple hats, don't you? in your roles. So talk to me a little bit about what your role is and how you came to use the framework and what it's meant to you as a school leader. Um, thank you. Um, so I've recently just become the CEO and previously was the head of one of our academies and a CEO as well. And when you when you convert to a multi-academy trust, suddenly you move from being a head teacher to being the uh, chief executive officer who's also the accounting officer and actually it's a really scary place to be. I started my national professional qualification for executive leadership because I, I didn't really know where to start learning about what a CEO does um, and unfortunately you only tend to hear about things when they go wrong rather than successful things. And uh, Carolyn will be pleased to know it was one of her talks because I'm doing the MPQEL through ASCOL that she introduced me to the uh, ethical leadership framework. And I can genuinely hands on heart say it was like a light bulb moment. It was like somebody had articulated everything that I was trying to do and the way in which I'd worked. And I take Caroline's point about there isn't a handbook for this. But as a set of guiding principles, I was we were already using the Nolans um, and that's not the group, obviously, uh, the Nolan principles. Um, but we were already using those quite strongly and it just gave a little bit of meat on the bones of what we were doing. And when you're looking to um, to set or to try and work with your trust board on what your vision and, and values and culture might be, and, and I, I know Rosemary probably will be much more expert on, on this than myself, really aware that I didn't want it, or we didn't want it to be a, a set of empty words. You know, everybody can say a mantra, well, this is what we do, but actually you've got to live that vision and values. And um, within a multi-academy trust, people who establish them, who grow them, we're not there forever. So it's really important that uh, you create a sustain, sustainable culture that will continue regardless of who's there. So thank you, Carolyn, for my light bulb moment. 
Oh, that's really nice. So uh, we'll bring Karen in now uh, just to discuss about your role and what it was that made you want to embark on the ethical leadership and the framework. Hello. Um, well, so I'm an assistant head teacher in a school and um, my role is to lead on behaviour and safeguarding across the school. Um, and I've, I've been involved in pastoral care since the beginning of my career about 22 years ago. Um, but as part of my role, I think I quite often heard, which was quite heartbreaking, oh, that child needs to go. That child's not ready um, for school. That child's not uh, coping in education. And of course, you do have the heartbreaking decision sometimes to exclude children from school. So all behaviour leads get invited to a sharing panel or whatever they're called in your local area, which is where you sit around a table with respected colleagues from local schools and you're given a list of children who are not working in education they've been permanently excluded and the idea is is those children are distributed to other schools and I think what traditionally happens in those schools is if you can maintain eye contact with the floor for the longest you don't have to take a child home with you um, and you don't have to answer to your head teacher and your governors and other parents and say yes I've, I've brought this um, perceived naughty child back with me and we just really didn't think that was good enough um, and I, I met a very um, inspirational lady Marie Rooney who was working on Warwickshire County Council at the time she's amazing um, she um, she came to me and said well what are we going to do about it then um, and we actually thought well what we need to do is get trust because people are looking at the floor because they don't trust that we're not going to give them a problem without helping them to, to, to solve the problem and to support the problem. And so we said, OK, so, so we need to come up with trust within the group. We need to make it so that people feel they can offer support um, to each other. And we need to make it that we're not in competition with each other. It's not a case of whoever's got the most difficult children is going to be the worst school. That shouldn't be the way it is. So we decided we were going to create our own framework and we talked about almost a kite mark that our local schools would have if they earned it um, by, by being effectively ethical and trusting each other. And then I think Marie and myself were at a head teachers conference and we were handed this card with the advert for the um, principles and the values on it. And we just said, well, we don't need to write our own. <laughs> They've done it for us. This is fantastic. Um, and so what we, we decided from that moment on was that we were going to use those principles that were already in place because they did exactly what we needed them to do. They were going to help us to get our respected colleagues to reflect, to trust each other, to work together and to remind ourselves that actually these children who are bouncing around from school to school are our children. They're not just X school's child or Y school's child they're a Warwickshire child um, with the same finance, the same budget. Um, so we have to support each other. And I think the framework really gave us everything we needed to go to our colleagues and say, this is how we need to conduct ourselves. We need to stop looking at the floor. And in fact, 
and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, we're the opposite now. We, we've changed the meetings around. No longer do we place the children. People say, oh, can I have that child, please? I'm going to work with that child. I can offer them this because I've got a great inclusion unit. And so it really has revolutionised and given us the confidence to be the professionals that we are. We are those professionals. We just needed the confidence to be able to be those professionals. Thank you. It's really interesting to hear how the framework and the notion of ethical leadership is being used so differently to make such an impact on the children that you're educating. Now, Rosemary, I know you come into this a little bit differently because you come in and at a bit of a strategic level, don't you? So can you tell us about how your role has influenced ethical leadership? Yeah, well, first of all, can I just say, Karen, what a marvellous, marvellous story that is, isn't it? I mean, that is just fantastic. <laughs> well done, you and, and your the people around you marvelous uh yeah well yeah I do come into it at a strategic level I'm a chair of governors uh in one school and I'm also a governor at a, a federation of schools um and I recently retired from paid work and that had it was the last paid work I did was 12 years as a higher education lecturer uh but prior to that I've had a career in business and again at strategic level company directorship I've also chaired a national charity and been a trustee in the charity sector for a number of years seven or eight years I think it was uh, and I've always had a, an absolute passion even uh, in, and including when I was in the business world for training and education and the power of education to change people's lives and I think that to me is just um fantastic and that's what Karen was talking about isn't it <laughs> changing people's lives and I've always been hugely interested in kind of values driven organizations and that sounds a bit wordy but you know that's always been important to me um so when i saw some um publicity come through from the nga about this project i thought gosh that sounds so much the sort of thing i'm interested in and i i kind of need to get involved in this and i took it to our head teacher and she and said you know i just think this is right up our street all the things we've been talking about over the last few years you and i you know this just feels like us and she immediately said yeah yeah absolutely let's do it so so we took it on board but e interestingly that those um ethical leadership values and guidelines have been fantastic actually in helping us steer through some really big strategic decisions yeah no that's really interesting so you've given us a few resources haven't you rosemary about um a blog about how you've used the framework and in your blog you said something about doing this work for the doing of the work to rest if the talk about culture and ethos matches the actions and I thought that really resonated um, with me personally and thinking about how the world of governance is really important in in exactly that so what did you find out when you were doing how did this work for you in practice well, um, yeah, absolutely. It's about the doing and not the saying, isn't it? And it's about it being on the table and not just on the website. And uh, But language does matter. And that was one of the things we, we came back to at the end of it. We thought, actually, language does matter, but you also have to do something with that language, don't you? So the first thing we actually did, what we did, we said, well, let's take our values, our school values, which, you know, there they are up on the website. Let's take them and map them across to 
the to the ethical leadership and to the Nolan principles. And so we, we had a little working party who formed and, and they took that away and looked at it and produced a kind of a map of where we were. And we were really pleased to see that our school values matched very closely to uh, and could easily be mapped across nicely to um, to the ethical leadership. Pro and that was the kind of starting point. And that was laid out on the table, as it were, at the board meeting and and discussed and it generated masses of discussion actually and it was out of that discussion then that we pulled a few things that we felt really really mattered to us and that of course was people the children but also the staff and and ourselves as governors and the community and you talked earlier and I think a number of colleagues have talked about that idea of modeling our behavior Caroline talked about that I know the idea of our interactions mattering and that children watch us and and see that and so we were very very keen to make sure that we um, we we took on board that idea of modeling behaviors um, as well what we had fully intended to do was like the first part of our project was to take it into um, our staff development and I have for many years loathed appraisal systems because I think they are done to people whereas this and I've been on both sides of the table with this I've had it done to me <laughs> but I've also done lots um, and I I think they should be done with and not to people and so I always try to do appraisal with people so it's not about me telling them what I think they should be doing in terms of objectives but the, but the people formulating their own and so we thought actually can we completely change our appraisal system in the school first of all of course my uh, appraisal of my uh, appraisal of head teacher as it were uh, performance management and then um, how we do that roll that on into the staff of the school and we and we talked about language there because we first of all said oh for goodness sake let's call it something else you know and so uh, lots of discussion about what you're calling uh, development and, uh, and rather than um, manage, performance management it should be leadership development shouldn't it? it should it should all be much more positive and and in line with that not being done to idea and we were used our ethical leadership guidelines and our school values very much in looking at the design of that um, but then as I said nothing stays still in education does it and our head teacher uh, found a wonderful opportunity and moved for a better for a, a promotion for a better, bigger job and so everything uh, had to change and in fact the biggest thing that had to change was we the board were faced with a situation of looking at uh, making major decisions for the school um, semi-rural small school very difficult to carry on alone these days and it was an opportunity for us to really throw everything up in the air and say actually we've got a big strategic decision to make now completely different to what, where we thought we were um, and we've got to think about the school for 10, 15, 20 years ahead now but brilliant we had our guidelines so we had our ethical um, leadership guidelines there and we were able to use those in with the working party who went out talking to other schools about possible ways forward and looking at people and thinking would you team up with these people would you team up with, do they think like we think wonderful we had that as a guideline um, and also we were able at the, the big meeting we had obviously to make the decisions we I had them out on the table we all walked around talked and looked about looked at them before we sat down and made the decisions and looked at the report that the working party had uh, uh, discussed the report with. 
Um, and so how, how amazing that what we started off thinking we were going to use the ethical guidelines for and the project for turned into something completely different and into a big strategic decision, uh, which we are now enacting. But Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's really interesting because you've raised some really important topics, actually, and um, some that people wouldn't really think about when they think about the ethical framework. So I want to bring Kath, Karen and Carolyn in for this do you feel when rosemary speaks about how the framework resonated with your school or trust values do you feel that that is something that worked for you do you feel that the framework resonated with your values well kath um absolutely um and i find myself nodding along what's fascinating is that we've all used the ethical leadership framework in different ways but actually the underlying principles are all exactly the same it's been really interesting for me to, to listen to the stories uh, about that um, and to use that that you know exactly what you said we chose to to not use the language this is ethical leadership further down the school but to use the language of values we actually carried out exactly the same as rosemary did and we matched our values to the ethical um, leadership framework so i knew that the 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 ethical leadership framework was so crucial to underpin everything that we did that it wasn't something that came in and you ticked we've done ethical leadership. And what was interesting for me is the NGA and the, and the partnership, there was no kite mark. There was nothing that we could say, we've done ethical leadership. And that to me absolutely encapsulates what it's all about. We never will have done it. You know, that is what we do. That's our values. That's our way of being. And I, and I use the, the whole thing about, you know, the seaside rock with those being going through everything that you do as a school. So just like Rosemary, we've aligned them all with our values and we've seen a significant shift and impact on our schools in, in working in that way. No, that's great. That's actually a really good way of putting it is that you've done it so differently but the principles are all the same. Um, so, Carolyn, let's bring you in because it's quite interesting that you were the former chair of the Ethical uh, Leadership Commission. But in practice, what did this mean for you as a head teacher? Well, that is an it's a, that, that is an interesting question, isn't it? Um, I've been blessed all the way through with really top quality governors. So when 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 we put together the handbook. Um, for the Pathfinder programme, I was picturing my own governors, both the governors I had at the time and ones that I've worked with previously, as being the ones who modelled this kind of ethical decision-making, ethical leadership in their own world, um, which enabled us to write the documents really quite quite, quite easily, because I was picturing actual people in the, in the, very, um, the, very, the very principled way that they work. No, absolutely. And Karen, do you feel that this has impacted you in the same way. Do you feel that the values have, your values of your school have resonated well with the framework? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think because I was working on a county-wide level as well um, with other colleagues in the same role, um, we did like the fact that, like, like Kath said, it's not a new thing to do. But actually, I, I'd say that those values reminded us why we do what we do. Um, and I, I really hope 
that anybody who wants to go into education, particularly anybody that goes into the field of behaviour management of, of young people, has to see it as a passion and has to have those values because otherwise why would you be doing it um and i think what the the framework did was just gave us a structure to remind ourselves this is why we do it and this is how we do it um and i think that that gave us common ground as leaders which meant that when we were sitting together as a group instead of thinking about the pressures of Ofsted, for example, or how, you know, um, how many detentions there are on the record this week. Um, it was more a case of reminding ourselves, this is why we do it. We do it to influence these children's lives. We all came into this for the same reasons. We're all ethical people who hold these values. Now let's just take them and put them into practice and do something different and special um, to have a real impact. So I think that's how, how I feel that they, they impacted, was just giving us that structure and confidence to do what we all do anyway. No, absolutely. It's a really um, good framework to look at, to remind yourself and the question why are we doing what we're doing and how do we know we're doing it well? And Carolyn brought up a really good point about having a good governing board. So, uh, Kath, I'm going to come back to you. We, In our reports that we, we've recently released, one of our findings was that communication, there was a really good level of communication between senior leadership teams, governing boards, teachers, pupils, parents, and the wider community. How do you feel that the framework has supported you as a leader, talk to your governing board, and really have a common language between what your intentions are and how these decisions are going to be made? The, the the issue of communication is is quite an interesting one and again it pulls back to your values and using the framework when you're thinking about any communication and we know that poor communication through all of those channels that you've already spoken about it is has been a bugbear in education for a long time um, and as a as a head in a school and as a ceo of a mat that those values, those principles, those virtues, and we talked about them permeating through everything. The communication has to be really important. And we've used the framework that comes all the way down from the trust board. So we talked about modelling and demonstrating. So the trust board modelling that way of behaving, about being open with our communication um, and there's, no, there's nothing hidden, no skeletons in our cupboard, come and see us, this is what we do, being open. Being really clear on people's roles and responsibilities and how that fits into the bigger picture. Being really clear for people because we all crave that sense of belonging to an organisation and we come into education, as Karen has said, because we share those things that actually we want to make a difference in the lives of children and young people. And if you know what you're doing and why you're doing and you're clear on that, it's really helpful for you being efficient in carrying out your role and most importantly, providing that high quality education. And I was struck by what 
Karen said about working with children, you know, who are struggling to manage in schools. And those are all of our children that we work with in alternative provision. They, they've not managed in, in their mainstream schools. So that's even more important for us. Um, for me personally, I have a, a laminated card with them on and I know that's pretty sad. It's got coffee stains. It's very dog-eared. It sits in my handbag. But sometimes, and, and I'm sure everybody will nod along, you get those emails, don't you, that really make you think, right, I'm going to reply now. And you, you, know, you do a stompy thing on the, and I just take this out and I just go back, I delete most of it. And I think, right, how will this look for somebody on the receiving end? Will they know that I'm an ethical leader, that we're an organization that has values and ethics and everything else? And we use those virtues. And if I do a super grumpy response, that is not helpful to anyone. No, that's really funny that you uh, you mentioned that. Um, I imagine everyone's nodding along with that one. Um, can you give us a specific example of where you've had to use that level of communication, how the framework has guided you through a decision to make? I think for me, and again, I, I was reflecting on this, is that actually it has been my moral compass during the pandemic. Um, and when there is chaos going on around you and as a leader, you have to remain that person that is, you know, the swan, you're serenely going along with your legs going. The framework has been really, really helpful in that moral compass. So um, whereas the sort of frustration you might feel about some staff appearing to do more than other staff, being sure that you are kind and the kindness was a thing that went through everything that we did, making sure we looked after all of our community, um, you know, from our pupils, our parents, our carers, our other stakeholders. And of course, our communities are, are county wide because we're county wide service. Regular communications, that openness, that transparency, talk to us if there's anything, you know, um, that you, you feel unhappy about, uncertain about. And the parents having those regular communications. And for us, the translation of the messages that they were hearing in the media and through the DFE, which was a lot of scaremongering, we would take those messages and say, this is what this means for your child. We had regular times where we would have a Zoom meeting. It was bring your own coffee and cake, an opportunity to talk to other people, and just to be able to reassure parents that they were doing a really, really good job. And I think what we tried to model at that time is kindness, regardless of everything else. And the courage that we had, you know, in dealing with this and the courage from, you know, from the bottom up wasn't just us as leaders. Everybody's been brave. And actually for every day, for every person, a good dollop of optimism, which we really need at the moment. I want to come in here because I loved what you're saying about community and that really rings true with us as well because we wanted our school values and then our ethical leadership values to actually pour out of the school and into the community and be part of of a wider it wasn't a, wasn't good enough somehow to just keep it within the school and so we wanted them to pour out and uh, and we so the communication of that to parents uh, was really important and we had a parents forum at that 
uh, time and that was a topic for a discussion with the group of parents that came to that we uh, of course I wrote the blog and that was also uh, around but I also wrote to the parents and with together with the head teacher um, so we were trying all along to explain what we were doing as well as of course modeling it in our behaviors but absolutely we wanted it to pour out of the school gates and I hope it I hope it did to some degree and has to some degree and I also love that point about saying you know we, we don't get a kite mark we can't say oh, we've done that and put it put the sticker up on the website no it's something that we will carry with us and I will carry it with me to any other school I go to as a as a governor and to and my other school that I am at as a governor I, I like to think I carry it with me and uh, and it's part of me as well now I was I was thinking about some of the points that people have raised and um it is it is fascinating to reflect back on the last 20 years, as, as it were, because one of the things you were talking about, Kath, was that business of thinking once, thinking twice about how you respond to people. And I was, um, I was, I was, I was formed as a head, I suppose, in, in the terrible years of um, Robust leadership being the being be, be, being the way for, for forward. So it didn't start with with my, my Michael Wilshire and, and Michael Gove. It started before that. Uh, but the but the but the thrust being that if you weren't upset in people, well then you you were, you, you were doing it wrong in some way. And that only if you completely bent everybody to your egomaniac will. Were you being the right kind of head teacher? Were you demonstrating robust leadership? And that's where we get the kind of language which I think is entirely unsuitable for dealing with children, things like relentlessness um, and laser sharp. You know, all of those, all of those ideas about being really focused on your job is important, but not in a way that's inhumane. And so it's really wonderful to hear people talking, hear people talking about um, thinking twice about sending an email. Um, thinking about the circumstances that people are that, that, that people are working in under COVID. That's a that's, that's a marvelous thing to hear. One of the things that um, concerned me when we first started on this journey was that lots of people would give assent to the idea of ethical leadership, but actually what they were talking about was character education for, for, for children. And we needed to be really very clear that this wasn't about. Uh, school leaders telling children how to live and how to behave, but demonstrating in their own behaviour and their own, the way that they made decisions um, what, what the principles, the values and the virtues of the good life really were. So while it's really important that, um, that values and virtues, that, that ethics is passed on to children, the most important thing for the framework is that leaders themselves behave obviously in this way no absolutely I, I agree with all those points um thank you for that so Karen you've done a blog for us previously haven't you on on your journey of ethical leadership and you talk about ethically inclusive schools how did you specifically implement that and what did that look like and what were those encounters along the way that kind of were the driving forces for you to want that even more for your children I, th I think for us, and, and again, I, I talk a little bit um, about the amazing Marie Rooney, who, who also inspired me in this. It, it's a couple of experiences when you're in the supermarket 
and you see a child that possibly has been excluded from a school that you were in and you can see them and you think, oh my goodness. Um, and you can see that they're just really struggling with life. Or you read the newspapers and it breaks your heart to read of either some gang violence or a situation where a child that you've previously worked with has lost their life um, in an incident. And it's those, it's those incidents that drive you to think, OK, we've got these children in schools by excluding them or by passing them back and forth. We're not solving the problem for that child. And what we're actually doing is breaking our community later on um, in life. So I think for us, that's why we, we've realised that it was such a priority to make a change to the way we were doing things um, and, to, and to stop the child from bouncing around from place to place but trying to work out why that was happening and trying to stop it from happening and take accountability for that um which, which i suppose sounds quite simple but all, all schools are very similar the children aren't um and so i think it was the realization that we had to change the way we were working in the schools to help the children um that was our starting point but then it was getting people to buy into it um, and giving people the confidence. We were scared. Sitting around that table um, with my professional colleagues from other schools, they weren't being unethical, if you like. They were scared. Um, scared of what that child might do to their figures in the league table, scared of what that child might do to their Ofsted report um, when that happened. And so it was very much about facing up to the issue um, and realising that we were in it together, that those children were the future community for all of us, um, and that it was time really to pull together um, and to make some changes. And so by firstly focusing on the framework and the values that we needed to adopt and reminding ourselves why we needed to have those values um, we were then able to start looking at more creative and brave ways of avoiding permanent exclusions absolutely no these are really interesting and important things to be raising and it's not often things that you think about but when you actually analyze the impact that you've made you can really see how the difference that you're making to these children's lives. Rosemary, do you feel that it's giving you some confidence in approaching those discussions that you're having uh, with leaders? Do you feel that it's giving you that confidence to really question how? Yes, yes I do. Um, I do. And I think uh, it, it gives us the confidence uh, um, to to kind of hang on to what matters really and to push for what matters and so certainly because we've had a very big strategic decision to make we were able to use that very much in our in our research and and whilst looking at other organizations that we might want to become involved with as a school asking those questions of those organizations and, and thinking do they match up to to what we want how do they go about appraisal and staff development and these things that we hold dear how do they um what are their their, uh, attitudes to behavior and to inclusion and, uh, and so on and so yeah it does it, it has made us feel uh, bolder and and braver because it's given us a framework it is a framework isn't it it gives you a, a some scaffolding a framework in which you can operate in which you can refer back to and, and there's a sort of security in that and a confidence in that yeah definitely 
Absolutely. I think there's so many branches that can divert the way that you want to use a framework and there's so many different routes through recruitment um, through the way that you talk to, to your peoples the way you conduct your board meetings I think there's so much variety in the way that you can do it it's endless really Carolyn I'm going to bring you in now to kind of finish off the podcast and talk to us a little bit about where we are now what's next what's for the future and what we can expect for the future of ethical leadership thank you um, we we had the three the three strands that we wanted to achieve when the um, ethical leadership commission uh, reported, uh, and so let me let me touch let me tell you where we are now. The framework is widely used, and it's widely used because of the work that the National Governance Association put in. We would not have been able to make any of the headway that we have if NGA and it, it, and its redoubtable leader, Ammonites, haven't thrown themselves completely behind this behind this program because it's the it's the number of schools that picked up the Pathfinder pro, pro, program that gives that gives the framework for ethical leadership in education its authenticity and its bite. Um, we wanted to include some of the words, the the values and the virtues in training, and there were um, at least four of us who served on the ethical leadership commission who were uh, part of the group that have rewritten the head teacher standards. So the head teacher standards have been rewritten. It didn't go as far as I wanted. I wanted the values and the virtues in. But we've got some explicit language around um, the principles for public life and also an understanding and an agreement from the department that in the same way that teachers have a part two to the teacher standards that talks about their own personal behaviour and comportment. So head teachers ought to have that. Head teachers, head, the expectations of head teachers shouldn't be, shouldn't be purely functional. It ought to be something about themselves as people and as role models. So that was great, uh, and um, I am I am hoping that some of the um, conversations that we had pre-COVID uh, with um, people working on the early on the on the early career framework will also will also come to fruition. One of the things that's taken us a long time to, to get to has been where, where the ethical leadership work should live. Um, because we didn't want it to live just with ASCO. We didn't want it to live just with NGA. We wanted it somewhere that was central to the development of teachers and school leaders. And so it's through the Chartered College of Teaching that the, uh, that the framework will have its longer, its longer, it's, 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 it's longer life. And we were just about ready before COVID hit us all last year um, to, to make some progress on there being an, 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 um, an ethics forum, an ethics committee embedded in the, in the, in the, in the chartered, co- 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 chartered College. Obviously, that didn't quite happen, but that's, that's what we're working on and that's where it will be in the future. Um, and so I'm just overwhelmed with, with, with gratitude for people who who picked this up and ran with it, to NGA who made it a possible thing for thousands and thousands of people to become involved with. And I think that together we've managed to make the world a bit of a better place and to give head teachers a bit of headspace in which to really think about the decisions that they make and for all school leaders to be encouraged and enabled and free to make decisions correctly and not just expediently. 
So thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all of you for joining me today. It's been a really informative and thought provoking conversation. We could talk about it for hours if we wanted to. Um, it is important now more than ever that we're asking that question of how do we know we're doing the right thing and what is the right thing to do? As mentioned earlier, NGA has published the final report for the Pathfinder project, which you can find on the ethical leadership page on NGA's website and we're also developing an online learning tool via our learning link platform for boards and leadership teams to complete together. I'd like to thank all of the pathfinders that contributed to this project and it's been incredibly important to inform our work for the future and the next steps as Carolyn says. Um, Thank you Carolyn, Kath, Karen and Rosemary for joining us today. Um, The conversation needs to keep going and I hope that it only gets bigger and better for you all.